These two stories, one in John and one in Acts, they both have intrigued me for the last number of weeks. To my eyes, there are two sets of themes shared between these stories, which at least caught my attention. And these are what I'd like to reflect with you about this morning. This is not going to be one of my typical MCC sermons, which I've done a lot in the last 10 years. That's when I take a biblical passage and interweave it with MCC stories like water or hunger or interfaith bridge building, and you have to go somewhere else to hear me about that. I decided that I would share with you this morning simply as a member of this congregation. These are the two themes that caught my attention. One, both Peter and Paul are leaders who carried a history of failure and opposition into their, new, into their leadership in the church, the new church, and both became amazing leaders. And two, both Ananias and the disciples were asked to do something that they knew was stupid and untrue, and yet they did it anyways. So let's start with Peter and Paul, leaders with a known history of failure. Both Peter and Paul carried huge portfolios in the early Christian church. Peter was the rock on which the church was built. It's understood within Catholic tradition that Peter was the first bishop of Rome before they had popes, thus placing every pope since then as Peter's successor. St. Peter's Basilica in Rome is by tradition built over the exact spot where Peter was buried after being crucified by Nero. Peter is usually listed first in any list of the disciples in the Gospels. Paul calls Peter the apostle to the Jews while calling himself the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was a pillar of leadership in the early church. And yet, in the account of Jesus' death, it was Peter who hung around the fire to hear what was happening to Jesus, and it was Peter who denied three times that he had anything to do with Jesus. That story is found in all four Gospels. It was likely told and retold and retold in the early church at least every year as the church remembered Jesus' death and resurrection. It's not a story of past failure that Peter could just put behind him and have it sink into oblivion. Somehow, Peter got past that public renunciation of Jesus to become one of the primary leaders in the early church. Even though the early church continued to tell the story of Peter's denial of Jesus. Then we turn to John. This last chapter that we were that Myrna read from us, John chapter 21. Some people say it's a late addition to the book of John. The ending of chapter 21 of chapter 20 has a wonderful ending. The previous chapter it summarizes the primary purpose of the telling of the gospel so that we may all come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that through believing we might have life in his name. After that strong ending, then, this final chapter of John tells one more story of Jesus after his resurrection. Focus on the redemption of Peter and the giving of the command to Peter to feed Jesus' sheep. Three times Peter is asked if he loves Jesus, and three times Jesus answers positively, and Jesus tells him to feed his sheep. The reference to Peter's denial of Jesus three times is implicit, but it's clear. Peter is given the opportunity to declare his love for Jesus three times, 
and then given the commandment to feed his sheep. What's amazing to me is that even as the early church remembered and retold the story of Peter denying that he knew Jesus, that Peter was the leader of the church at the same time. I'm not sure I want stories of my failures to be circulating at the same time as I provide leadership, whether that's at MCC or anywhere else. Peter's story is a story of forgiveness, of grace, of redemption. A story about failure and a story about calling. It's quite amazing, actually. Amazing that the church affirmed Peter as their leader. And amazing that Peter himself could get past his failures to stand boldly and confidently with Jesus as the leader of the early church. And then we turn to Paul, or should I say Saul at this point. Saul was well-educated, a Pharisee, and a Roman citizen. Saul had taken it upon himself as his personal mission to track down and kill all those who followed Jesus. He was doing this quite effectively, so much so that his reputation preceded him to Damascus. In this story from Acts, we hear of Saul's encounter with Christ, his conversion, and his subsequent movement into leadership roles in the early Christian church. Missionary, apostle to the Gentiles, also a leader of the church in Rome until his death by beheading under Nero, beheaded instead of crucified because of his Roman citizenship. Early Christian thought is heavily influenced by the writings attributed to Paul, as many as 13 books in our New Testament, and his writings continue to influence us in the church today. How was it possible for the church to accept Paul as leader given his past? And how did he do such a turnaround within himself? Not surprisingly, I'm intrigued by leadership, both how leadership roles are granted by a community and how people develop the confidence to see themselves as leaders. Both Peter and Paul had major issues that they faced, stories from their past that were told and retold instead of being forgotten after they became leaders. I'm amazed by the power of grace for redemption and transformation, grace from God, grace from their communities, and grace that they accepted for themselves. For both Peter and Paul, they were able to build on that grace so that they could offer themselves as leaders for the church. And for both Peter and Paul, the early church affirmed their calling to leadership in spite of, or maybe it's because of, their histories of failure. So that was the first theme that caught my attention in these stories, the leadership roles given by the church and embraced by both Peter and Paul. How do we in the church look at failure or mistakes of those among us? Do mistakes make us afraid to trust them? Do failures prevent them from future leadership roles? Are we able to celebrate grace and forgiveness and embrace the gifts that each one of us carries in this congregation as a congregation? And as individuals, do we allow ourselves that same grace and forgiveness? Do we have the eyes to see that grace? The second theme that caught my attention has to do now with the lesser players in each of these stories. Ananias did something that he knew was futile and stupid and would likely prove fatal to himself. And yet, Ananias called Paul brother. 
and laid hands of healing on Saul and prayed for him. In the end, this Saul, who became Paul, dramatically changed the entire nature of the early church, changing it from a sect within Judaism to a church of all languages and cultures, bringing Gentiles into the church. That is completely changing the church as Ananias knew it. Would Ananias have gone if he'd known the full impact of his visit? If he'd known that Paul was going to bring the Gentiles into the church? Ananias knew that Paul was a persecutor. And Ananias knew that the Gentiles were not the chosen people of God. Yet Ananias went and did as the Lord asked of him. And the impact on the church was tremendous. Similarly, in the fishing story in John, the disciples, including Peter, they all knew about fishing. This was their way of life, having grown up in fishing families. And they'd spent the whole night fishing. Then the stranger on shore tells them to put their nets on the other side of the boat, an obviously stupid thing to do. And yet, John and then Peter start to figure out who this guy might be. And the results are spectacularly opposite of what they knew to be true that there were no fish to be caught that night. Instead, they caught 153 fish without even breaking their nets. In both of these stories, Ananias and the disciples, individuals acted on guidance from the Lord in direct contradiction to do, to do something that they knew would not be true. They did something that they knew was a stupid thing to do. And amazing things happened when they did so. For the fishermen, they got exactly what they wanted, nets full of fish. For Ananias, well, his life was spared, but he also got a church full of Gentiles, and I'm not sure that's what he really wanted. These stories have had me thinking, reflecting on things that I know are true, and to wonder where I'm being pushed to think about these things in other ways. Some of these might seem obvious, some are just plain difficult, and some are, seem impossible. Sometimes it's easier not to think about things that have become issues in the church today because it's scary to think about where they might take us. Are these slippery slopes that are going to take us somewhere? Paul brought the Gentiles into the church. Is there a place that we might end up that could be any worse than that from an early Jewish church perspective. These stories of Ananias and the disciples encourage me to look for the prophetic voices calling us to consider new ideas. In our Mennonite tradition, we place high value on the discernment of the gathered community of believers to together determine truth. So what might some of these new ideas be as we think about how we know and understand our faith today? I want to share with you four ideas that I'm thinking about, ideas that are circulating in our church today. And I look to the discernment of the gathered community to keep working at discerning, at understanding what I call these uncertain truths. One uncertain truth for me is what I think about people of other faiths, Muslims and Jews and Buddhists and many more. Recently at MCC, we've adopted Embrace the Mennonite World Conference Statement of Shared Convictions, so I've come to know it rather well. It says that God is known to us as Father, Son, and Spirit. 
Might that mean that God is known to other people in other ways? Jesus is the only way that we as Christians know and understand God. I can say that with conviction. But might others know God in a different way? I don't know where those thoughts or questions take me, so I don't go there very often. But that's one of the places where I hold on to uncertain truths. Another uncertain truth for me concerns the place of the church from the global north in what I call the global south. Particularly as we think about what it means to be a Mennonite or an Anabaptist in our world today. We think we know pretty well here in the U.S. and Canada what it means to be Mennonite. We hold on to our particular understandings of Mennonite theology very closely, as exemplified by the reaction to the playing of the national anthem at Gosham College events. And yet, I sometimes hear our Mennonite and Anabaptist brothers and sisters in the global south emphasizing different parts of what it means to be a faithful Christian. Valentina, one of us here in this congregation, recently returned from a conference in India on post-colonial theology. Can our churches here in the north even begin to think about what a post-colonial theology is about? Or is that where we need to listen for truth from the churches in the global south that are trying to find ways to live in a post-colonial reality? This path is one I'm ready to walk down a little more easily, but I know that if this path means that we in the north need to change, well, then I become uncertain about where this path is taking us. There is uncertain truth for me about how to think about my faith if I was to be willing to truly listen to our sisters and brothers in the churches in the global south. Another uncertain truth in our church our churches and society does relate to sexual orientation. It's hard for me to even name that publicly. To name sexual orientation as one of those places where we are afraid to listen, to discuss, and debate. And yet sexual orientation is a live debate in society around us, and we in the church need to listen and discern truth together. One more uncertain truth relates to the growth of interest in, sexu in spirituality, along with, at the same time, decreasing interest and support for the institutional church, particularly in the U.S. and in Canada. Why is there so much renewed interest in society around us in spirituality? How are we tapping into that interest? Why is there decreasing participation in the church of nearly every denomination, except for maybe the Pentecostals and the Amish? How does the church need to change in order to become more relevant to the pulse of society around us? This is another uncertain truth that scares me as I wonder where exploring those questions will take us. These are four hard topics, four truths about which I am no longer certain, four issues that I wonder if we have the courage of Ananias and Peter to discuss. Our relationships and opinions about people of other faiths. Anabaptist theology and post-colonial theology coming from the global south. Sexual orientation. And growing interest in spirituality along with decreasing church participation. I don't know where these hard topics are taking us as the church, but I'm trying to pay attention. 
Who or where are the voices that might take us down a different path than what we know to be true? Or will we find truth to be the same as we have always known it in the past? How will we know what we are being called towards? How did Ananias and Peter find the courage to do something that they knew was stupid and possibly not true? In the end, I believe it is the voices of the prophets among us in the context of the discernment of the gathered community of believers that will lead us to understandings of truth. The little fishing story about Peter and the disciples is as dramatic as the Ananias story, which is a big story with a huge impact on the church. Eventually, Ananias and the earliest church had to rethink who is in the church, who is welcome in the church, who is part of the church, all because of Paul's influence. The leaders of that early church, before they were both executed by Nero, were Peter and Paul, both men with backgrounds that showed that they could not be trusted. And yet they were the leaders that built up and established this church that is now spread all over our globe. As Mennonites, we place very high value on the role of the church community in together discerning truth, a higher value than on listening to the outlandish ideas of some of the prophets among us. I ask God to give us the grace and courage to together explore these ideas of uncertain truth of our time. Let us take heed where God is calling us through our prophets and through the wisdom of the church community gathered together. May we together see grace and truth with new eyes. <laughs>